Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere. And I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. Together we interview leading authorities, answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember that our materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and for entertainment purposes only. They are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now it's time to get cracking with the episode. So whether you're out walking your dog, driving the kids to school or just sitting back enjoying a glass of wine, we hope you enjoy the show. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, your host, and with me I've got my co-host Marika Hart. How are you, Marika? Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. And you? Oh, doing okay. Doing okay. Tired but busy, but wow, not as tired as 5 a.m. in England, 5 a.m. in <laughs> Northern Ireland. How are you, Gronje? How are you, Emma? How are you both? Holding together, Anthony. Apologies, I'm in my bathrobe, but this is how I roll. <laughs> That sounds fair enough, fair enough. What about you, Emma? I'm okay. I'm okay. I could do with an extra coffee right now, I think. <laughs> cool. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Why don't, why don't you tell us a bit about yourselves first and um, before we get stuck into these running guidelines? Well, I've been on the show, as you know, before, Anthony Marika. My name's Gronya Donnelly, and I'm a physiotherapist based in both the National Health Service and in private practice in Northern Ireland, and I specialise in when men and women's health or pelvic health physiotherapy. And I'm a physio I, uh, based in the private sector now. Um, I'm based in a little town called Oxted in Surrey, um, and I work in a little clinic called Halos, um, on my own, um, but alongside, alongside uh, some osteos as well. Thank you so much for the intros, ladies. Um, we, Anthony, and I, Anthony and I wanted to have you on the show because we really wanted to talk about these new guidelines that you have put together uh, in regards to returning to running after childbirth and after pregnancy. Um, before we get into that, can I just say a massive thank you from the physio and fitness world? Um, for those that have never tried anything like this and I haven't done anything uh, to this extent in terms of guidelines but uh, what a huge amount of work I'm sure went into this from a whole team of people so first of all huge thanks from all of us um, thank you but yeah just what what made you decide to get together and produce these guidelines was it something that you thought there's just there's nothing out there there's there's a you know like a, a big gap in the knowledge base Basically, it all started initially with um, my husband's a physiotherapist and he was actually on Tom's Run Repairs course. And on it, there were several pelvic health physios, I think, asking pelvic health related questions, applying to running. And as you know, and as we know, even from the guidelines, there's very little research out there guiding us and there's no official guidelines. So Tom had got chatting to my husband and he, I think, knew us from being online and knew that I was a pelvic health physio. So it got the discussion going. Now, this whole project with the guidelines started off as something that was going to be a little less official. I think Tom and I were initially thinking of writing a blog. This is, how, this is where it started and it just rolled out of control. Um, and then with Emma, I had been in touch with online. I had always followed Emma and... Obviously, she's uh, 
big interest in running. She started her own running group, as she'll be able to tell you about afterwards for postnatal women. Um, and we got, we got in contact with her and basically the three of us decided to come together. And the more we got stuck into it, the bigger or the more official it became because we realized there was nothing out there. So it took a lot longer than we anticipated and it became a lot more official than we anticipated. But I think we're glad now to be this far along and to have done it. If you had told me way back then, I might not have said yes. <laughs> but we're here and it's been great. And it's been great to have the collaboration between myself and Emma, who are pelvic health physiotherapists, and Tom Goom, who couldn't be on with us this morning, who's uh, obviously a musculoskeletal and running repair specialist, a running injury specialist. So it brought a gap between two specialists that don't currently communicate as much as they should. Yeah, and I'm, I think just to add to that, I um, have my little running group, which has got pretty big now. It's about 85 women um, in, involved in my club. Um, and they don't just, they don't just run, they, they walk as well. Um, and probably as you find within clinic, the first question that I often get asked um, when I see them for their postnatal checks is, when can I run? And you've got women have already started running. You've got women who are scared of running and they're all Googling timelines, um, trying to find the right answers. But there's just such a, 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 there's such a contradiction in what fit pros are telling uh, patients or clients and this, uh, what we're telling clients. So I just think there needed to be a, a, a more general consensus, and more, a, a clearer idea so that we're hopefully singing from the same song sheet little bit more so the guidelines are really intended for not only clinicians but fit pros running coaches but also women themselves just to give them a better idea why we're perhaps having having a, a timeline if you like um, but of course there's variability within that which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later just to clarify on something that you said Gronya you know you said it was has become a little bit more official um, what did you mean by that? So who's using these guidelines? Well, the fact that they're actually a guideline in itself. So that when we started the project, we probably didn't intend to do such a big document with um, different sections in it. But yes, they basically, we have had so many downloads since we have released them. So of anything that we can track, we've had quite a lot of downloads and it seems to be a lot of physiotherapists, both musculoskeletal and pelvic health physiotherapists. We've had GPs, consultants, sports and exercise medicine physicians. We've had fit pros and coaches. Um, so we've had quite a wide range and that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted to get it out there to the different sectors. And what we were quite, um, I suppose, focused on was that, yes, within the pelvic health world, if you do some sort of if you produce some sort of document, pelvic health physios will download it, but we wanted to make sure this extended beyond that because it's the people beyond that who really need this guideline and it's the people, we wanted different sectors to be communicating and basically, yeah, so we've been very happy with how it's been circulated, how it's been received and we're looking forward to seeing what happens as the year goes on. That's fantastic. It's... um. It's really cool to read the document and to see, because, you know, I saw an early draft and, and to see that wide range of considerations. <laughs> what are you laughing at? 
it, it evolved it evolved through the through the process <laughs> so that 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 was the next question like what what was that process and um what what went on in the process um so basically we um approached people we considered um key in the world of physiotherapy um like yourselves um and um we also put it out there on twitter to see if people would be willing to give us feedback um we didn't just want to hear back from pelvic health physios or msk physios we wanted to hear back from uh gps and consultants um and the the response was pretty awesome actually you can see within the guidelines the the list of people that have had a had a look at them for us and i think what was mind-blowing for me was people have been so thorough with their feedback um they really taken time um marika and anthony in particular just to um really highlight um, areas that we need to improve on um, and make changes with. Um, and that's actually probably been the lengthiest part of the whole process is going through all the feedback and trying to make as many people happy as possible because the reality is with such a complex topic, it, we, can't get, we can't get it completely right. Um, and this is very much a, a work in progress and it's gonna change I hope and evolve throughout throughout the next couple of months, perhaps years. Um, but we've had we've had a really good um, response from some some amazing um, experts. And I think um, again, like the one of the things that I think was fantastic about the guidelines is you've also specified where we have lots of research and where mm. there is more. So it's more sort of professional opinion because for so many of us working in this field, like we, we just don't have a lot of research to back us up, right? So we're just kind of like figuring things out and trying new things. And we're for those of us who are from a Musk background, we're we're pulling all our Musk info into this field and just you know i guess um treading water a little bit um so i can understand how difficult it must have been to actually put together something that like you said is going to satisfy lots of people but actually has um really useful practical advice on sort of screening and you know areas of strengthening before returning to running or how to um you know how to get people started after birth i think it's i think you guys have done such an awesome job um sorry Angie, did you want to ask something no he's just he's just shaking his head there um, and my, my phone's just gone dead on me here we go um <laughs> i've just had a mind blank let's have a little we'll have a little pause and we'll cut this bit out where we anthony no, leave it in. <laughs> no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, so, you, uh, Gronya, you were saying the response has been, um, or both of you are saying the response has been really awesome so far. What has surprised you from the community? I was, I was going to say, I don't know what Emma thinks, but I was actually quite nervous when it came to actually putting it out there. It's quite a vulnerable thing when you do put a lot of work and invest a lot of time into it. We knew that we had um, consulted widely with different professionals around the world. So we were quite happy that, you know, that we had considered a lot of advice from other people, but still you put yourself out there to the wolves really, because people, if they don't like what they read, can really rip you apart. And 
um, I was quite scared and I was trying to keep myself, keep that element professional because if someone rips into the guidelines, they're not ripping into me and it's not personal. But um, I actually have been quite surprised at how well they've been received to date. Now, whether we just haven't heard from people yet who, who have something that they want to say about them, but we tried to be as thorough as we could in terms of the guidelines. And that's the bit I, in a sense, struggled with initially with the fact that most of it is expert opinion because we were getting studies and there was studies um, more from maybe the musculoskeletal side, which were giving us direction, but they weren't specific to postnatal population, haven't been studied in postnatal population. So you can't infer that much from them. And that's really, really disappointing because especially when you consult widely, lots of people have very strong opinions, clinical opinions about what way to approach things, but without the actual hard facts and and um, research and data behind it, you can't make any strong assumptions or any strong recommendations. So it was going and being very realistic and putting out there that it's expert opinion, but that it's, I suppose, widely consulted expert opinion. Um, and again, there's very big extremes because even from the timeline point of view of when to start exercising, we had such extremes <laughs> about the time frame and the suitability of the type of exercise that they could carry out. So I know I've discussed this with you, Anthony, as well. Um, and we tried to go somewhere quite realistic and possibly in the middle because a lot of people thought we were being too, uh, going in too soon. Other people thought we were being too cautious, so it was just trying to use what we know from research to guide us and rolling with that. Absolutely. And part of the problem is that um, you're trying to make guidelines to fit everybody into some sort of lane, you know, and like, you know, one of the comments that, that I made in my feedback was like, wow, three months is a long time for some people. And it wasn't that everybody needs to be back in a few weeks. Just, you know, um, some acknowledgement. But one question that I had is, can you summarize for our listeners um, what some of the key points of the guidelines are so that, you know, people know what we're talking about here? <laughs> There'll be a link to, to how they can get the guidelines, of course, in the show notes. Brockers? Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's at five o'clock. Um, <laughs> five o'clock thing. <laughs> Do I look zoned out? <laughs> um, so I think the key thing for us was ultimately, ultimately our feeling was that any woman that wants to return back to running, ideally see uh, a pelvic health physiotherapist. Um, and certainly in the UK, I'm not sure how it works in Australia, but in the UK, that's, that's a big ask, um, because there aren't enough, uh, pelvic health physios for the amount of women that have babies. I think there's about 800 pelvic health physios versus 600,000 births a year. Um, the new, uh, NHS 10 year plan is that every woman over the next 10 years should have access to, uh, a pelvic health physiotherapist after baby um, so our guidelines fit quite nicely with that but the reality of that happening is is, is, a, is a way off yet so with that in mind we realize that that can't happen for every woman at the moment um, and so another key point was that clinicians who work with postnatal women improve their screening or, or at least screen women for pelvic floor dysfunction and I think that's key. I, I did a talk to the GPs, uh, a group of GPs yesterday, and 
through no fault of their own, through, through lack of resources and time issues, um, a lot of them don't screen for pelvic health issues unless women uh, mention them. And a lot of women don't mention them because they're embarrassed or because they feel that that's the norm to, to leak after having a baby. So uh, our key, uh, I, I would say our key point is that uh, clinicians, fit pros, running coaches are screening for pelvic floor dysfunction. And if anything is flagging up, then they are referred to a pelvic health physio who is then carrying out a thorough pelvic health assessment um, and then at this stage, if they don't have any musculoskeletal um, or not as much musculoskeletal knowledge, collaborating with an MSK uh, physio. Um, and that's very key in our guidelines is that we're trying to encourage collaboration. This isn't just the world of pelvic health, the world of musculoskeletal. It's, it's considering the woman as a whole. Um, and once that MSK physio has seen the lady and assessed, uh, assessed them using various tests, then putting those findings together and coming up with a, with a rehab programme and then a return to run programme at the time that they're ready. So it's, it's constantly reassessing, um, re-evaluating and liaising with, with the women as well, considering um, you know, m m a multitude of, 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 of issues that aren't just pelvic health tests and MSK tests um, and considering the women holistically. And I think what's key about the guidelines is that we aren't putting this 12, you can run at 12 weeks. That's not what we're trying to um, get across. We're trying to give a little bit more standardization, but ultimately consider each and every woman as an individual. Because as you say, some women are going to be ready to run at six weeks. Some women aren't going to be ready to run for six months, but it's using your clinical reasoning and using these guidelines to, to guide that rather than it being protocol based. That was a long answer, wasn't it? That was awesome. That's that was okay. really, it was a great answer, Emma. <laughs> and well done, well done for doing that at five a.m. Yeah. Um, thanks. So I'll, I'll throw it across. To, I'll throw it across to Gronje now, so you can just. Yes. <laughs> um. So. Uh, oh, were you going to say something? Sorry, all I was going to say was that, um, yes, everything that Emma has said has been perfect, and then alongside that, we've actually touched on other considerations that we think that all health and fitness professionals should be considering aside from musculoskeletal issues and pelvic floor issues such as breastfeeding, sportswear and what you wear and how it can support you including footwear um, and sleep, yeah, sleep's a big one, I need sleep right now, um, diastasis and even things like reds which Interestingly, with the guidelines, Emma and I realized we thought that this was something that everybody considered and knew about in the health and fitness world, but it was very, very poorly understood. Um, a lot of the consultants and GPs um, nearly were kind of highlighting what exactly is REDS. <laughs> yeah, do you want to just explain what the acronym is um, of yeah, REDS? So yeah, it's a relative energy deficiency in sport um, and it was formerly known as the female athlete triad. So it was formerly considered solely in women and it, the name has been updated um, to consider that men can actually have read us as well. Um, but basically it's to do more with the metabolic and, oh, this is my 5am um, response to this, but the metabolic and all the, I suppose, uh, effects you can have in your system with lack of sleep, with basically if the energy output is greater than the energy intake. So if you consider new moms in particular who have a new baby, babies come first, we all know that. So you're running around feeding them, looking after them, making sure they're sleeping, but is the mom sleeping? 
coupled with that, you have the pressure and the huge social media expectation to snap back. So people are rushing back into exercise, obsessing about getting their figure back. And this can very much lead them into circumstances of energy deficiency, um, which may um, then affect their menstrual and fertility function, their bone health is a big one because they might be at risk of um, stress fractures um, and other um, metabolic functions basically and endocrine systems. So it's a huge one that we are delighted to have in there when we realize it's very poorly misunderstood and not considered. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point. I did have a, a client recently with a sacral stress fracture from running wow. postnatally. Um, and yeah, mm -hmm. it, it just wasn't really on my radar to be honest like I, I didn't think about it but then once it, it became quite obvious it was like oh my gosh oh wow we need to do something about this um just going back to what emma was saying before about um sort of pelvic floor dysfunction Bronya, do you just want to um explain just for people who maybe aren't physios or fitness professionals maybe just for the general public what are some of the signs um and symptoms that maybe the pelvic floor is not handling or is not ready to run or once you go back to running are there some things that people should look out for absolutely so pelvic floor dysfunction basically is the medical term given to the function of the pelvic area involving pelvic floor muscles organ support system down below um, the pelvic floor is involved in pelvic organ support as i've said continence control so the control of our bladder and our bowel and also involved in sexual function. So they're all issues that people don't very much talk about and that are quite hard to talk about. And Emma already touched on the fact that there's a understanding that currently exists that after having a baby, it's quite normal to have some sort of issues down below. And we're trying to get the fact across that it's absolutely not. So any symptoms which may indicate that your pelvic floor is not back to full function, is that a weak bladder or leaking at the bladder, either with simple tasks like a cough, sneeze, or on trying to return to exercise. So if you're leaking with exercise, including running, it tells you that your pelvic floor is just not able to manage that activity or that high load or pressure. And so it's not something to be ignored. Um, a feeling of heaviness or something falling down down below or feeling of something in the vagina can be an indication that the pelvic organ support isn't um, what it used to be and should be checked out so that we can prevent and treat before things become, I suppose, worse. Um, and even sexual function, the one that people talk about even less, when women resume sexual function after having a baby, they need to be aware that if it continues to be something that's uncomfortable, painful, not enjoyable, or giving them any sort of symptoms, that that's actually highlighting an issue with pelvic floor dysfunction, and it's not something that just, just should be grin and bared. Um, but, oh, I took a blank now, so uh, sorry, I was going to say something. <laughs> oh, good. So what you're saying is you don't have to lie back and think of England. <laughs> No, you definitely don't. It shouldn't be like that. No. Sorry, I was <laughs> the amount of this is something that really frustrates me because the amount of women who you ask for in your postnatal consult and you delve in a wee bit and they're like, Yeah, but sure it's never going to be the same again. You know, I just, you know, it's not something I'm really into anymore, but you know, you just kinda grin and bear and endure it. And I'm like, No. no. Like, so yes, what I was gonna say was that the biggest thing that we want to get across is that, especially because we're now bridging into the, I suppose, the sport and in the pelvic health world, we wouldn't consider a ligament sprain or an ACL injury of any sort 
to be something that you just kind of ah, get on with it afterwards. You know, people get high level rehab after having any of these injuries. They get graded and progressive rehab and they get assessed before return to play. So why on earth do women who undergo such big tasks, whether they deliver vaginally or by cesarean section, back to porridge on Monday they're lifting you know laundry and doing everything and I just find this this has to change because yes women are brilliant they can multitask but we need to be safeguarding our future pelvic health and that's thing a lot of women might not necessarily present with huge issues initially postnatal but they could be just about functioning and then the pelvic floor might be just about able to do that task so it's not even maybe presenting with significant symptoms but fast forward five ten years of high load exercise if they don't recover optimally and fully they might be at higher risk of pelvic floor dysfunction as they approach that menopausal age and i think we need to change that statistic of one in two women getting pelvic organ prolapse. i think we can do something about that and i think we can start to protect long-term future pelvic health if we get the basics right from postnatal preach it sister that's it <laughs> right on board um, yeah, no arguments from this side <laughs> no and and you know there was um there's been some indication i've been trying to look for more but you know there are those indications where people who are asymptomatic five to seven years later can become symptomatic um and so we we just don't know what's going on there um and and you know i believe it or not i'm actually well you've both been to my course now i'm actually a conservative physio um i just happen to do things that look like they're extreme but they're not um so i'm actually quite conservative particularly because i don't do internal examinations right so um i have to be conservative by nature so so conservative is good um can you can you both share some stories as um, as to how some of the points that come out in the guidelines have helped some of your clients with wanting to return to running from from um, from postnatal? Because uh, I'm going to guess there are some people who you've learnt what to do with them to help them return to postnatal, and no doubt there have been some where it was like, whoa, you know this probably wasn't a good idea for them to do. Um, just, just to illustrate how these guidelines can be helpful. Um, I think with my patients, the guidelines have helped because they've given them an, given them an element of control. So um, they have helped us goal set a bit more effectively. Um, so for women who aren't, who are perhaps at 12 weeks postnatal but aren't ready to return to running um, because they're either their modified Oxford score uh, was below three or their GH plus PB was over seven centimetres. Um, it's just given them a little bit of understanding as to why we're saying perhaps not yet ready to run um, and what they can do in the meantime to help uh, get them back to running the biggest issue for a lot of women is they just want to exercise they just for their own mental health um, reasons as well so um, I think it's given them some guidance um, and some more effective ways to exercise in the run-up to run in the run-up to running um, but also giving them a more structured plan um, the hardest thing for me is 
dealing with those women who don't always appreciate the impact or the what effect running's having on their system. Um, and I think having a little bit of research or evidence behind why we're saying what we're saying has helped give them a little bit more um, justification in why in as to why then why they shouldn't run. I haven't answered that at all well, but I, I can't quite explain what I'm trying to say. Um, it's it's just given them a better plan. I think does that make sense? Absolutely. It. Um, I think if I'm if I'm understanding you correctly, it um, it seems that having <laughs> one of Marika's favourite phrases of mine. <laughs> um, if I'm understanding you correctly, it, it seems like uh, having the guidelines which outlines for them what the research shows isn't just brokers being mean to me, holding me back, but um, it's like oh, actually. There's, there's been people looking at this and, and okay, she's not saying I can't run forever. She's just saying, mm-hmm. well, you, you, haven't, you haven't satisfied to my liking and comfort the, the, the abilities that we like to see, which seems to show a more successful, lower risk type of return to running. Would that, would that be right? Yes. Thank you for phrasing that so much better than I attempted. Um, yes, that's, that, that, that's exactly it. It's um, before you, we, I just felt we, I was waving ideas around without true justification. I don't still think we have true justification because the evidence isn't there um, in, in many of these areas, but we've extrapolated the evidence or we've extrapolated as much as we can from the evidence that does exist. And just having a little bit more of a consensus there, I think it's giving women a little bit more confidence, <clears throat> excuse me, in what, in what, what, in what I'm saying. Um, so Emma, you obviously run, as, as someone who runs a, a running club, are you, sorry, are you physically running with these people? Like you all go out to the park and run. Okay. So um, I've had a few, quite a few runner clients as well. And I, I like to affectionately call them my crazy runners. You know, the ones who are like, do you not, you, you can't ask me, you can't ask me not to run. Like I have, I have to run yeah. for my mental health. And I've had ladies run up to they've given birth. And I saw a lady in, at a sports medicine clinic in Melbourne who came to see me five days postnatal who was already running. Um, and yeah. And she came in with back pain, but anyway, there was no way, there was no way she was not going to run. Yeah. Um, so you must see maybe not to that same extent, same extent, but people who are just like, I, I just got to run at all costs. Um, do you find for those people, th- this is where some of these guidelines can come in handy? Is that what kind of where you're getting at as well? Yeah, it just gives them a little bit more um, structure. And a lot of those women are women who really research into the subject as well, but because they've not found anything to really justify why they shouldn't be running as such, um, they've gone with their own um their own mindset on that and um yeah i think it just gives them a little bit more um it just gives them a little bit more guidance i'm not saying that all those real hardcore runners are going to listen to to what you're saying um but i think if faced with the reality of what could happen um uh, you know the, the reality is it can end your running career if you do run too soon um and you have some significant pelvic floor dysfunction so faced with the thought of not running forever versus not running for 
two or three months, um, it gives them a little bit more justification within their own minds, I think, as to, as to, as to why to hold back just, just for a little bit of time. And, and what about for you, Grenier? Like, do you have um, some, some clients that you're thinking about that you could tell us about how, um, how specific points in the guidelines have been helpful for them? Yeah, so I actually um, had a postnatal mommy check yesterday, which was really interesting. Um, and it was someone who had seen the release of our guidelines while they were waiting on their um, review with me. Um, so they had had a bit of a look, but they actually messaged me as soon as the guideline came out to say that they were feeling a bit better because they were struggling mentally with the idea of waiting for um, the mommy check before they started back into running because they were just eager again to get back out exercising, first time mom, wanting to get your body back, you know, everything's changed so much. Um, so once they seen that, they were kind of like, okay, well, you know, I don't feel so much pressure now. I actually am quite happy to read this. So uh, they came in yesterday and we highlighted some areas um, that they should work on prior to returning back to high impact exercise, but we implemented a low impact exercise program. So it was that idea of giving someone something to focus on and do and highlighting what they did need to work on that they can understand and they can see the weakness or they can see that they need to build more endurance in certain areas. And so they're leading, again, like you say, with a plan, but with a progressive plan, because they know that this is to set them up then for high impact returning. And they totally got and understood the risk factors and why we're taking this approach. But the big thing for me is that I'm hoping these guidelines will produce, as Emma's already mentioned, a more common answer and a more a general consensus with the advice that we're giving out. So instead of physios having the uphill battle as soon as someone comes for their postnatal check and we maybe recommend someone's not ready for running, but they say that, well, the GP told me I could exercise and the GP tell them to exercise and then we're telling them not to exercise. And there's this whole, you know, where you just feel that you're not even being listened to or taken seriously or that you nearly feel that the advice you're given is wrong and uninformed because I'm sure the GP's already told them. So it's trying to get that out there because the six-week postnatal check isn't something that's automatically happening anymore, certainly in Northern Ireland with GP shortages. We've had a lot of health centres shut, including my own, um, and a lot of... Um, health centres have been absorbed by other practices. And in my last two deliveries, there's been no six-week postnatal check. So, you know, I'm okay. I feel lucky enough that I'm informed and have a good background, have good contacts with people to know what I should be doing postnatally. But a lot of women don't. So it's... I'm sorry, you're saying no postnatal doctor no, check no, at all? No, Like nothing? No. Wow. Nothing. I know. It's just due to shortages. Now, I'm sure if I booked a consult, I could just go in if I was having any issues. But there's no routine six-week check as such. Now, that varies throughout. It depends on where you're living throughout Northern Ireland. depends on what your GP provision is. But this is where things are kind of getting strained. And when they do happen... Hey, everybody. Sorry to interrupt the episode. Just wanted to quickly throw you to the Myotherapy Reading Room, where for less than $50 a year, you get awesome information. Less than $100 a year, you get all of that information, as well as some extra notes and different uh, types of better quality information. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash myotherapy reading room. It's worth considering to help improve your practice. Now back to the show. Thank you. They're variable. So I actually, within my own health trust, as part of an audit for, um, I'm the team lead for pelvic health in my health trust. And this year I carried out a GP questionnaire. So I sent a questionnaire to the GPs 
um, asking them, first of all, did the six-week check occur? If it did occur, what did it involve? If it didn't occur, why does it not occur? And I also sent them questions. I used this as an opportunity to find out what GPs understood about pelvic health physiotherapy. And it was actually quite eye-opening. Um, I've analyzed this now. And um, first of all, I was a wee bit aware that I might not get any responses back because GPs are so strained that they might not have time for a silly questionnaire coming through the door. So I actually sent the same questionnaire minus the six-week check questions to all the physios in my health trust thinking they'll know what we do. But I spoke to you about this before. Nobody understands what we do. And um, there was huge variability in what they thought we do. A lot of GPs thought we just sit and tell someone how to do a pelvic floor exercise. They didn't realize that we actually do an internal examination or that we actually have like a physical component that we're re-evaluate. Um, but the, as I said, the six-week check varied. What happens at the six-week check varied. So some of them were just subjective uh, consults regarding contraception, mental health, um, sometimes be taking the blood pressure, but others, none of them involved a vaginal examination. Some checked the scar tissue if needed, but it was just a quick look at the scar. Is it healing okay? So that's why we need to be highlighting this so that we know that women need to have a more thorough examination, especially if they're having symptoms. And the thing about the six-week check is that I'm not sure if it's the same in Australia, but many health and fitness professionals around the country have their box on their intake form, have you had your six-week check with the GP? Now, they don't really ask about what happened at that, as in, did the GP say you were fit to exercise? No, as long as you've had it, you're safe to go into that exercise class. So it's just to kind of increase awareness to both the general public and the health and fitness industry. Yeah. Pretty much our six-week check is, have you stopped bleeding? Uh, how's your baby doing? How's your scar? Here's some birth control. Yeah, same as ours. And maybe, and maybe a um, uh, testing, testing your cervix, a pap smear, as well. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. At six weeks. Yeah, that's what happened. That's that's what happened. <laughs> that's what happened to my wife, and that and other people. While yeah, they're because, there. Yeah, In while the they're there because because they haven't had it for so long. Uh, depending so in on the when they're they have to be. Oh, sorry, Anthony, I keep interrupting you. In the UK, they have to be 12 weeks. I'm just going to carry on interrupting you, though. Um, they have to be 12 weeks um, postnatal to have a smear test. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit, a little bit sooner. In, don't in, know. In... I, yeah, I don't know how standard that is, but um, mm. yeah, I do remember that. I, I'm looking at the Appendix One flow chart from the second draft I've the, the screen has actually been on the speaker. So that's why I've been looking sideways trying to find this thing. I, I've been really busy today. Um, <clears throat> I really like um, the flow chart and what's, what's in the guidelines. So, you know, things like less than six weeks, are you six to 12 weeks? Are you more than 12 weeks? Um, so, you know, it's got that time frame in there, which I really appreciated. Um, and you know, there's a subjective screen and some validated outcome measures, which is great. And then, um, <clears throat> you're looking at things like a, a pelvic floor screen via a specialist physio, um, abdominal screen for diastasis, including functional dynamic load load testing, um, load and impact screening with and without video analysis, strength testing, uh, looking at their weight and because of the influence of 
um, body weight um, with pelvic floor dysfunction, psychological screen for postnatal depression, uh, a red screen, and other important considerations like breastfeeding, scar tissue, and sleep. Um, and then, you know, if, if, if you're doing really well on all of those things, you go to a progressive return to running. And if not, you outline things for them to focus on and work on, and then you, you set a time to review. Would that be about right? And then the guidelines have more details about each of those points. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So that basically we use that as a snapshot of the guidelines or a quick reference of the guidelines, but we do recommend that people read the guideline in full to understand the basis behind that summary. But I just think it kind of gives the flowchart and even it's a wee bit less, um, it's a wee bit less, I'm trying to think, it's easier to look at that and read to get an idea, a quick overview of the guideline rather than to think, oh my goodness, do I have to read through all this? But you kind of get an idea. And then it, I think it entices people to want to read different sections more because you kind of see, oh, right, what's this? Why is this so important? But, um, and it is just highlighting that, um, if people do go through this and fail, and if people are failing conservative rehab in terms of they've had physio and they're not responding to it, it is important that we know our local pathways, like our urogyne pathways, and that we do refer onwards to the gym for consultant review for those patients who are going to need it. So hopefully if we're getting people and getting this advice out there earlier, we're going to have that preventative strategy where, pe more, where less people are going to have to go as far down that uh, urogyne pathway. But we still have to understand that those pathways exist and they exist for a reason and it's knowing your multidisciplinary team and knowing how to refer into it. One of the things I think you guys covered really well in there, um, which I don't think a lot of people talk about, and it's probably something that we do clinically, but um, just talking about load management, um, because we know for most musculoskeletal injuries, you know, it's often to do with overload. Um, we're talking about a postnatal healing timeframe. I, I do find that a lot of women, once they kind of get the, the go ahead to return to running, they'll just kind of go from zero to 5K um, or zero to uh, here. We have a lot, I see a lot of postnatal women who go back to netball and I'm like, okay, so before going back to netball, you want to have done all of these things. Like it, it's your pre-return to sport thing. So, um, you know, either one of you, Emma, Emma, maybe as a runner, this is something you want to cover, but do you want to just talk a little bit about that sort of return to running load management side of things? Because I think that's really critical and I'm so glad that you covered it in the guidelines. Yeah, so that was really, um, from, from, Tom, from Tom's side really, um, and all the research he's been looking into, I think the difficulty with it is there isn't that much research into how to grade a return to run. Um, but it's just working with the woman as well, making sure that we're goal setting with them to find out what their what their aims are. So if, if someone wants to get back to a 5k run versus uh, a marathon um, and using something like a couch to 5k program, um, where they are incorporating walking and running um, into their return to run rather than just going off on the 5k as, 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 a, as a, uh, their, first, their first return to run. Um, so it's, it's getting that balance between uh, low impact and high impact to allow your system to adjust to the high impact and building it up progressively. 
that is the part or the section where we feel that running coaches might come into their own or liaising with a run coach specifically if you've got a you know a key goal in mind um we we recently um presented at a sports and exercise medicine a medical conference um in um in london and there was a ultra runner there called sophie powers who you may know of her image from um the strava image where she was breastfeeding her baby and um expressing at the same time during the i can't remember the, the name of the run now um but it's it was a about 120 mile run um and she was fascinating because she returns to running fairly soon after after having had her first um and someone even of that level and that distance followed without our guidelines followed um a, a progressive return to run actually walking and using stair climber more than running um and as she said she just couldn't have taken that she couldn't have taken the impact it just as, as a breast as she was breastfeeding she just felt it was too it was too much too soon so most of her training for such a huge marathon was done with the aid of a running coach and they worked on low impact work and strengthening as well she felt that you know returning to strength exercise was paramount in her success within that marathon so it's a case of returning to running with cross-fitting in mind and sorry cross-training in mind um, and making sure that women are working in all planes of movement and strengthening all muscle groups relevant to running it's not just about pounding the streets. Oh, preaching to the choir. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, yeah, is she the one that, that beats the guys too? Is is that the... That's, I think that's Jessica, oh, I should know her name, Jessica Paris. Right. Um, but she she's one of her colleagues. Um, she was she she was a machine, wasn't she, Gronia? She was pretty oh, pretty phenomenal very inspiring to talk to she's actually talked emma and i into um our first ultra run next summer so um i i think she would have had us in sooner i was like i'm pregnant at the minute. so she was trying you could see her do the timeline she's like next summer next summer you're doing your first and she said she, i think we're going to take her up on it well i'm intending to she said she would coach us in the run up to it and train us and then we can do it so I think that'd be a lovely challenge. I'd be probably a year postnatal at that stage. Do I well, think it'd be a nice goal? I yeah, well, said she'd give us a nice, a nice lunch. She said she wouldn't make it too long. It'd be a nice one with lovely view. One that you can stop and get ice cream along the way. I think she told us. A nice gentle, <laughs> like sixty k or something. Yeah, thirty-five <laughs> miles. I think she said. What? Well, sorry, um, thirty-five miles. Yeah, Is it? Well, Nothing really. Just, just a little. Yeah. yeah. No bother. Yeah, walk in the park. <laughs> but I'm going to use the guidelines myself. Obviously, I'm due a baby in August, so I'm hoping to be able to, I suppose, record and cover my journey back to give an overview of how I get on. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how that will go yet. I don't know how my delivery will go yet. So we'll have to see. But regardless of how it goes, I'll be using the guidelines to see where I fit into it and where the recovery takes me. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, f I forgot. I forgot. You're due in August. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> right. <laughs> Completely forgot. <laughs> I got all excited again. <laughs> You're like, this is brand new information. So cute. <laughs> Even though I knew. 
I just forgot. <laughs> she's done it all for the running guidelines. Yeah. Um, so dedicated. She's taken one for the team. Oh, you can't tell from your face, though, you know. Thank you, Anthony. I'll take that as the biggest compliment ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know how sometimes people, when they get, even though they don't change size, they just change their face? It's, yeah. Shanna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking oh, no. good. <laughs> looking very good. Looking very good. Um, that's awesome. Um, what sort of um, you know? You've already you've already hinted at what you'd like these guidelines um, to 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 be like for other people. But like, dream big. What what do you think should be done with these guidelines? What what's what's the big dream? What's the big um, I wish, you know, if we could grant this wish, what would it be? I think more like getting them officially published uh, through some of the bigger bodies that have a lot of influence. Now, what I would start off and say, and Tom and Em and I have talked about this, the way they've been released at the minute, we're really happy about it and it's the way we want because they're completely accessible to everybody with no barriers. So had we gone with certain journals or some, especially within our specialist interest, there's a lot of, you have to be a member. So you're limited to a very a certain population. And I know even, like if I think of my husband's musculoskeletal physiotherapist, I'm pelvic health, I don't really go looking in the musculoskeletal and sports journals unless I'm looking for something pelvic health related. He doesn't really look in, you know, my, so it's trying to get them somewhere where people will find them. So at the minute, because they haven't been sectioned into any certain uh, specialism, they're available. But I think that, what do you think, Emma? We would like them, I suppose, to be officially endorsed, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, that would that would be the ideal, and it would just be amazing if every um, everyone on the front line was was using them and um, sharing the information with uh, with postnatal women. So uh, GPs, fit pros, the running coaches, just making sure that. I think for me, it would just be ideal that we were all saying a similar thing to give women more confidence and um, clarity on the subject. Um, and yes, of course, to have them made official would be would be amazing. But also, just to get some or some some more research on the subject would be would be fantastic as well. Because as as you've seen from reading them, the research just just isn't there. Um, so perhaps using them to, to, um, to guide some research would be, would, be, uh, would be phenomenal because it's just such an under-researched area. Um, and that's just such a, it's just such a shame um, when, in, in, in my opinion, it's such, a, it's such an important area um, that, that we ensure women are returning back to sport um, safely and effectively. Just tack that on to the end of your other projects, Gronje, just, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I'm, I'm at a loose end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that you had five minutes in your schedule, so you just fill that up with the running stuff, okay? <laughs> I will. Sorted. If you, if you each could choose one thing that you wanted researched more than anything, what would you choose? 
Go, Grania. Well, I'm really intrigued by, Anthony, you touched on this um, in your course, and there has been research, I'd like to refer to my guidelines, that we um, were aware of to do with the pelvic floor and the potential functioning of the pelvic floor to actually maybe eccentrically stretch mm. with load. But at the minute, that's very much in the exploratory stage of research, and there's, there's just not a lot of strength with it. But I find it really intriguing to read, and I'm like, oh, because it makes sense that there could be an element of that that is eccentric control and that maybe the pelvic floor and the anterior wall is supposed to descend a little bit, but we just don't know yet. But if we got more research in that, that would completely transform and change the narrative of what we're doing and what we're saying, um, which is scary in some ways because, you know, it, it changes the goalposts and it changes everything that we have done to date. But I think reading that's really interesting and I welcome more research in it. Mm. Brockers. Um, I would be keen actually for there to be more research around when, uh, how, how the musculoskeletal system is affected uh, on that return to run. So uh, as, as awesome as all of the load management testing and strength testing is, there's just not that much research behind it. Um, uh, a lot of it is just extrapolated from the research that there is, but there's no certainty within that. So I guess I would just like to see uh, uh, an improvement in the re or, or, or more thorough research, researching in that area. What about you too? Have you any wishes for oh. research in that area? I have like a million. <laughs> oh, go, Marika, go. That's too hard a question. Oh, you asked us. Well, PC, yeah. <laughs> no, you asked us at six a.m. in the morning. That's why I asked you because I can't answer. <laughs> oh, there's so many things, right? Like, what about running technique, and what about even the effect of cadence? For example, yes. the effect of cadence on pelvic floor muscle function in a postnatal woman at three months, at six months, like stuff like that. Mm. Um, running efficiency yes. technique and sorry. stuff that we do clinically but yeah there's it's all based on the extrapolations from from our musculoskeletal yeah you know. and it'd be interesting to see uh heel strike versus mid stance versus uh uh toast yeah four, four, uh, yeah four thank you, thank you. Yep. Four, it's okay four, four yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a.m now <laughs> <laughs> should be awake. I feel more tired now than I did an hour ago. Um, I think um, that would be fascinating to see yeah. uh, what, what what load was going occurring during those particular um, foot strikes as well. And to go back to my bias, my bias background, I have a huge interest in diastasis. So any research in relation to diastasis, I welcome. But particularly to see, does it have an influence really? Because we've again gone with more expert consensus because the research isn't there there's very low grade evidence to suggest there may be some risk um to the pelvic floor in particular for pelvic organ prolapse and um, if someone has a diastasis but this doesn't it's, it's so individualized it's not for everybody and it depends on how they're functioning so we need more research to guide that um and i was going to ask you something marika and i'm trying to think what it was um oh yes you've been doing the a wee bit into the running uh, research as well for a recent blog you were doing or a recent project you were doing, isn't that right? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of shelved that. I got, I got too busy at uni, but it, it will be done probably the second half of the year. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if even you have come because what it's all is a case of you produce something and then more research starts to come out, hopefully. So it'll be interesting to see if you've anything new and additional to add to the research base. But um, I did see a paper which I haven't got to read yet, which was shared in our, one of our pelvic health networks. Um, and I think it highlighted, I read the abstract, just it highlighted that it wasn't delivery mode that oh, yes. increases someone's risk of pelvic floor dysfunction or it was more it was to do with... Six weeks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was more to do with pre-pregnancy and I suppose uh, levator support then. It was to do with the, I think, levator ani support and levator hiatus, but it was really interesting. So it'd be, it's, it's, it's keeping all those because we're hoping to revise the guideline yearly to update and to see where things are changing and moving to. Actually on, on that Grognier, so obviously the way that we as health and fitness professionals and people in the general public can help is to share these guidelines far and wide. And as you said, it'd be amazing if we could get it to GPs as well, gym owners, the general public. Um, how else can people help you um, in terms of the sort of review process or is there anything that you'd like um, you know, have a shout out people, ways that people can help you guys. And, yeah. And, and get you feedback too. Cause I'm pretty sure you still welcome feedback, right? Absolutely. And we want feedback good or bad. Like we don't just want people to get in touch if they think we've done a good job. We actually want people to get in touch if they're like, well, I don't actually agree with that. Or I'm aware of this research because we may have missed key thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if things weren't coming up in our searches, we don't know about them or if we, if, if things have been released since, we want to know about research that's out there or why people maybe aren't um, happy with what we've suggested in certain guidelines or if people put them into practice and find that just doesn't work that well because X, Y, or Z. We want to know because it's at the minute a lot of the guidelines is based on expert consensus. So we need to know how people are finding them, utilizing them, putting them into practice. But also things like we purposely in this guideline wanted to get across the idea of a holistic individualized assessment rather than boxing sections into, right, if you had a C-section delivery, these are the guidelines. If you had a normal vagina delivery, these are the guidelines. Because at the minute that seems to be very much what's happening is that C-section is considered, oh, that's a higher risk delivery. You need a, week, a few more weeks longer to recovery, but normal delivery, no problem. Back to exercise, do what you want. You, you had a normal delivery. So they're not even considering the perineal tears. Like, I don't see, like a perineal tear is a huge issue. Even if people recover quite well, it's still a weakness to that area and it's such an important support area. So we wanted to make it that even if someone has a delivery and doesn't tear, that they could have significant ballooning at their um, perineum and that they need assessed to see how that support network is at the minute before they're loading that highly. Um, so I know that some people probably looked at our guidelines and were looking for the different sections in terms of high-risk deliveries, but we purposely wanted to get across that everybody needs assessed, and this is the reason why, and we hope that that came across. Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. Phew. Yes, you do. <laughs> so I, was, I was muted and looking at Anthony because I thought, you know, he would say something. I thought my I thought microphone I, was I muted, and I'm like, like oh. <laughs> No, no, it did. I, I really, I really thought that the um, the individualization of 
the assessment process and the return to running came through strongly. Like, I mean, it suits my biases. So, you know, <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> I saw it and went, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, um, and yeah, I, I think, I think it's brilliant. I, um, I fully appreciate how hard it is to, um, to do such a document, the, the amount of work that must've gone into it and the searching and, um, and everything. I, I, I think that that was fantastic. Um, so yeah, you know, I want to make sure that everybody, we're going to have a link in the, in the show notes so that people can, um, can get the document and, um, and, you know, share this stuff around. We want those guidelines out there for everybody to, to at least consider, right? Even if you disagree, at least, you know, talk to Gronje, Emma, Tom about what you agreed with, what you didn't agree with um, and contribute to the process because, you know, it's It's so so easy to complain and it's so easy to to sit there and go, oh, well, I don't think I quite agree with that. But, you know, writing a blog, writing guidelines, my God, it takes so much time. Yeah, it does. And how long did your lit review take? Oh, it was months. Like, it, it, as I said, this didn't ever even intend to be as big. It was months and months of work. So we kept, and we kept extending the deadline of when we intended to release the guidelines because there was so much work. And there was then, with each stage of feedback, we had put them out. And then you nearly felt like you're starting from scratch a little bit again because you're like, we have so much work to do. And it, every time you got feedback, you realized that you had even more work than you even ever thought you had to do. So it was, it was a lot. And there was a lot of communication between the three of us and a lot of uh, delegation of tasks and then reviewing of each other's work. So it was, it was a lot to do. I'm, it, I'm chuffed to be able to say we did it now, but it was a lot. But what we found that you will see from the guidelines because we summarized at the beginning was that a review of exercise guidelines in particular highlighted that there was none specific for the postnatal population and any guidelines out there that mentioned postnatal recovery and return to exercise were usually um, at the end of a pregnancy guideline so it was the focus was the pregnancy and keeping active during it and then there was a wee like footnote at the end of postnatal so it was very much an added extra um, but there was huge variation and lack of um, focus with them. And I think it was the Australian guideline was the only guideline that mentioned um, high load activities such as running need to be considered and need to be more cautious. Whereas other um, guidelines were more just saying if you had a C-section, you have to wait X amount of weeks. If you had a normal delivery, you can run sooner. So it was just that that's where our baseline is. So regardless of whether people are think that, you know, things could have been done better or not. They're a starting point and they're the first of a starting point because that are the first guideline to focus on the postnatal population specifically. So we're hoping that it'll, I suppose, trigger more countries can get in their official guidelines out and more people talking about this topic and getting more research. Beautiful. Um, I, I honestly do love them. I do appreciate the way that you took my feedback. Um, I read Marika's feedback and went, Oh wow. I'm just yeah. so dumb. <laughs> like Marika's Marika's feedback was amazing. Um, so, so yeah, that was- I think it's just, I'm used to just reviewing a truckload of documents for girls gone strong. And so, and because I've read a lot of the stuff recently and at uni, I'm just like, cool. I'll just add my two cents, but you know, 
Oh, I'm not. I'm not writing about a lot of stuff. I I make a lot of things up. It really helped focus us, particularly for the postnatal pelvic floor assessment, because again, one of the biggest focuses that we have is in terms of, med, um, I suppose, doing components of the POPQ exam, the general hiatus plus perineal body. So that's a length for anyone listening. That's basically a measurement of urethra to sphincter and it um you get people to bear down and you're looking to see does that measurement increase significantly or does it stay relatively stable and if it increases beyond seven centimeters it does highlight that there's um i suppose a bit of laxity or perineal balloon in there which increases your risk factor significantly for prolapse so identifying that at an early stage is key and that's something that you can identify on a postnatal mother who has no symptoms actually so you can identify that and start those preventive strategies, educate them and inform rather than wait until the prolapse and treating the prolapse. And it's such a simple test to do. I can, I can say that now because I've been practicing the hell out of it for my prac exam, which was last week. Oh, good for you. Which is done. Yes. Um, oh, but, it, you know, it's done from the outside and it's so simple. It's so simple yeah. to do with a little pop stick and, and just mm-hmm. putting it up next to the perineum and um, very yeah. quick and easy. I think we need to get better at doing that. Um, certainly here in the UK I think that's a much more bog standard test that you guys do in Australia I think we perhaps it would be wonderful if the guidelines helped um, allow development of that um, with our with our testing here in the UK because I, I think it's fair to say that that's probably not as well well carried out as it is where you are um, with, with Taryn Hallam, you had Taryn Hallam recently Taryn Hallam. Oh, yeah. Anthony I went uh, on your recommendation <laughs> I think she's I love her. She's oh. good, right? I told you. She's, she's very, very phenomenal. smart. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, if, if, really if, smart. Yeah. If such a, such a, I was only, it was only one day for me. Um, but yeah, I took so much from it. And hopefully she's going to come back over to the UK. But really, uh, you know, she, she, she's certainly changed my practice just in that one day. So um, yeah, thank you. Oh no! Well, I tell anybody who listens. Well, you both heard me. You both heard me when um, on the courses. You know, I tell anybody who listens that that I like. I've been doing this for twenty two odd years, and you know, it's about seven years ago, maybe or six years ago, maybe that I went on a course, and I I thought, you know what, I need to update, and um, and yeah, it was just like oh, amazing. So um, she's taught me so much of the modern stuff. A lot of my stuff is older. Um, and so then she taught me the modern stuff and she's been a great resource and, and has really affected the Eastern, the Eastern seaboard of Australia quite significantly and, and overseas. So it's been good to, uh, right, so she's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Any last words for our listeners out there, um, before we finish off? I think it would just be that we really appreciate as we've already cut, touched on some more feedback from people. Um, I think our emails ad- addresses are on the guidelines and if they're not, uh, perhaps we can attach them to your um, show notes. Um, uh, an area that seems to keep getting flagged up as the uh, zero to 12 week um, exercise plan, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. Appendix that, two. <laughs> yes, appendix two, thank you. Um, it's. It needs work, I think, that that it needs um, some variation as well. Um, so we'd be really keen to have people's thoughts on 
giving women other ideas as to what they can do. Uh, it's, it's not set out to be an exercise programme, but I, I, I don't see the harm in developing that area to certainly give guidance to people on, on what else they can do whilst they're waiting for that return to, to running. Yeah. And even particularly for um, women themselves, so non-health um, professionals, women who either use the guidelines individually or have a fitness coach or physios who are get, using them to guide them back to running, how they have found the progression with them, um, whether it compares to previous deliveries where they maybe didn't use the guidelines and went back, um, just how they find them. We'd love that feedback because um, what we're noticing even on social media has still been going strong in terms of a lot of physios and fitness professionals are doing nearly like features, like key summary features on them week on week, which is really interesting. And it's getting a lot of, we're seeing the comments below those from the general public. So it's really interesting. But it's just even the fact that we've, we've realized we knew that the guidelines were needed, but we've realized how much people were waiting on something like this because there's a lot of buzz and hype around them and people extrapolating key points and making candle posters out of them and all. And that's quite exciting for us to see. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I because I'd spend so much time diving into the pre and postnatal research, like you guys, it's like, you know, you get your ACOG guidelines and it's like 10 pages on pregnancy and one paragraph on postnatal. And, you know, as I said before, I was in the process of writing an article on the same topic, but actually, admittedly, I put it on pause because it's, it's really hard. <laughs> it's like, oh, so hard. <laughs> it's such a hard thing. So, um, you know, hats off to you. I think it's absolutely needed. Um, we get asked questions at Girls Gone Strong on a weekly basis, like when should someone return to running after having a baby or from, from women and, you know, general public saying, I really want to get back to running, but I had my baby six weeks ago. Is it okay to start? And it's really nice to have, have something that you can send that is, it's just so much more comprehensive than what we've had to date. And it, and for the health and fitness professionals, it, it kind of gives us that guidance of all the different aspects. It's not just about, a scar the scar tissue it's not just about a time frame it's this woman in her situation how much sleep she's had what her birth was like what her pregnancy was like um you know whether she is yeah getting a lot of sleep if she's got support at home what's her pelvic floor recovery been like does she have diastasis does she have musculoskeletal pain what are her goals like i think you guys have have covered just in a, in a much more holistic way. So um, well done. And um, thank you so much for getting up at the crack of dawn or the crack of dawn and, and talking to Probably us. Probably not dawn yet. Yeah. And it's not even, it's still dark with me. <laughs> dark. Thank you so we much. Appreciate you. Have, have a great day. Yeah, thank you for having us. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks very much. And we'll, we look forward to hearing about the update in about a year's time. How's that? Great. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. 5am uh, your time, by the way. Oh, yeah. Okay. No problem. <laughs> I just won't go to the gym then. <laughs> awesome. Thanks very much. And if you like the episode, please make sure you hit like and subscribe. Um, you know, Emma and, and Grenier are always happy to interact on social media. So um, look for them on social media. Otherwise, we'll catch you again on another episode. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, I just want to have a quick word about our sponsor, the Myotherapy Reading Room. The Myotherapy Reading Room does provide a curated keyword indexed feed of topical peer review papers, podcasts, clinical practice guidelines, and systematic reviews 
together with all the links for the relevant papers, the resources that come with it, and all the uh, specially selected um, things to help support uh, the clinicians who subscribe to this service in the application of evidence-based practice, in particular for musculoskeletal pain and injury presentations, including chronic pain. Uh, its rapidly growing subscriber base includes physiotherapists, osteopaths, chiropractors, exercise physiologists, myotherapists, strength and conditioning coaches, fitness professionals, massage therapists, and others from Australia, Canada, United States, the United Kingdom, and various places around the world. Um, I know Elaine who helps run this um, myotherapy reading room, and she's an epidemiologist. Epidemiologist. Uh, she goes through the papers. She's the one who's providing the episode notes for you on these podcasts, and um, she's fantastic with making sure that any papers that come up that are relevant, um, she helps to make sure that she brings it to your attention. So support the Myotherapy Reading Room. It's $3 a month or $6 a month. Seriously, that is under $100 a year, and that's Australian dollars, I suspect. Um, it's very, very cheap uh, to get somebody pointing to, uh, at all the good resources that are coming out so that you can stay on top of your game so that you can start seeing the things that are relevant for your clinical practice. So go have a look. Uh, thank you very much. Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.